welcome to the Tweed Couch Guitar Therapy Session, where we talk about all things guitar related. My name is Dr. T, and I am not a licensed therapist, but I play one on a podcast. Today on the Tweed Couch, we are counseling on Age to Perfection. Much like a fine wine or spirit, a band or even a guitar can really find its musical palette over time. Of course, there are many factors that make the aging process one that we appreciate. Whether it be the finish on the guitar, the vibration of the wood, the style of the music, or the changes made over the course of its life, we can all agree that many find vintage gear to be better. But does old really mean better? Is it the guitar or is it the player that changed? Can we speed up the process? Do pickups need a break in time? Is nitro better than poly? Can a player get better over time or do they peak? And who do we think has gotten worse with age? Well, we will discuss this and more on this part two group therapy session with John on the Tweed Couch. Well, John, thank you so much for joining in on the couch today for some group therapy. Now, I know that you're excited and I'm excited for this next announcement, which is I want to also welcome Wyoming to group therapy. Wyoming has arrived. Let's go Cowboys. Yes. Yeah. I know. I know. Some people say that rehab is for quitters, but no, no, Wyoming is here and ready to go. Wow. That is an epic milestone for you to have hit your 50th state. Yeah, I know. I know. Actually, so that I maybe I should do a shout out to a few of the other states then too cuz 75% of our listeners are in Texas. Well, that's where I am. Minnesota, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, and California. Wow. So that's 75%. That's that's pretty eclectic. That's from the east to the west, north to the south. Yeah, I mean, I, I assume your brother Paul is the Minnesota connection. Maybe. He listens to all of them more than once. That's yeah, got to be just, it. Yeah, he just keeps it on repeat in his car. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, him and Jeremy and Beth. Yeah. We still have them. Yeah, so that, that's good. Yeah. Oh, actually, okay, I will mention this. So 75% of our listeners come from those states. I think it's like 87% come from the U.S., but internationally, 6% of our listeners come from the UK, Canada, and Australia. So I'd like to welcome international group therapy as well while we're at it. Yeah, top of the morning to you. Is that? Yes. Is that? I don't. I think you just offended everybody. Hey, <laughs> hey you know, don't you know? <laughs> you go up there to the north there. I'm sorry. That's right. That's right. Oh, bloody. Anyway, so let's go ahead and talk about what we're going to do today, which actually is a follow-up because you asked for a part two and you actually are the winner because... Are we the first part two? Yeah. Because Jason asked for a part two and then he said, oh man, I'm real busy. Uh, I texted Lloyd for a part two and he ghosted me. So uh, here you are, part two. Because I have nothing else to do, I get to be the first part two. Is that the deal? You're the most excited for group therapy. I am. That's what it is. Maybe we need to do a spinoff of this podcast, and you should do your own. I've thought about doing my own, but drummers don't know how to work technology in the most cases. So that's the because because drum therapy doesn't doesn't sound as good. I think so. We'll have to come up with a title for it. It it may be a work in progress. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So when we talked last time, we talked about vintage gear and the vintage gear we had been around and we had handled and you asked for a part two and I started thinking about it and I went, what we should really talk about is probably how vintage gear is different than modern gear and really it's aged to perfection. Yeah, I think, you know, as stuff gets older, to truly be considered vintage, it has to get better with age, right? We mm. we mentioned last time like drums don't get better with age, they just they they suck more. <laughs> <laughs> but as you get better, you know, there's things obviously that that aren't aging to perfection, you know, stuff that has gotten worse over time. Uh pro audio and and all that kind of stuff, but yeah, I think specifically in the guitar world, 
Things can age to perfection. It's good. It's like a fine wine. Yes, or an aged barrel bourbon. Oh, yeah. Yes. Now, with that said, I I do think that there are some things vintage that gets worse over time. And maybe we'll talk about some of that as well. Now, I grew up around some vintage gear. So my dad had a Joe Mathis model Moserite double neck guitar. And I grew up looking at that thing going, man, that thing is great. But I could never pick it up because it was too heavy. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, so I've been around that one. I've been around it a long time. He also had a 64 Showman amplifier. And I remember playing that thing and going, ah, you know, it's really clean and it's really boomy. And I just, I don't know that I really like it that much. And he also had, and this this is really kind of a cool thing that he has, and I someday hopefully will also own this guitar, is he had the very first year of production, 1953 Gibson EB-1 bass. And that guitar is super cool, but I never loved the way it sounded. But when I go over and I play that stuff at his house now, after been playing guitar for 20 some years, I actually really like it. Yeah. And so this brings up an interesting question. And that is, did the gear actually age better or did I just become a better player? So what are your thoughts on all that? Well, or, or do you just appreciate it more? Is there, is there a third angle on that? Cause, cause I look back when I first started playing and, you know, I I grew up in the Green Day era, you know, Green Day, Foo Fighters, all that kind of stuff. And that's how we played. And Mm -hmm. that was the stuff that we, we played as a band that we wanted to perform that we wanted, you know, that was our sound. But then I discovered my mom's record collection, right? And there was Beatles and Stones and all that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden that became more what I like. And now, even now I look back and I go, yeah, I still love the Foo Fighters. I still love that, that early nineties, early two thousands or late nineties, early two thousands, like rock punk sound. Absolutely. But I have a better appreciation for stones and Zeppelin and all of those types of bands. As I got older, I started to appreciate those things more. So is that the angle? Is that what aging to perfection? Is it really, does it really get better or does just our perception of it get better? I think it's important for people to be able to, over time, adjust their perception of things if it calls for adjusting. Yeah. So I look at dad's 67 Moserite and although... I think that the Moserite is beautiful. Even the back of the neck is sunburst as well. I mean, it's super cool. I still don't love the way it plays. Sure. And I'm still not really a P90 guy, even though I don't even know that these would be considered P90s. It's just, I don't necessarily know, but I do know that I do appreciate the age. I appreciate what my dad did with it, how he played with it. So there may be a part to it with certain instruments or certain types of things. But at the same time, the 64 Showman, I actually plugged that into my Marshall 412. And then I really appreciated it. It sounded absolutely amazing. As opposed to his 115, 215 JBL speakers from 64. Yeah. <laughs> that just, you know, big and boomy and loud and, and all that. Yeah, I think there is something to that too, because the the other, you know, combination of gear is is a big, big portion of it. And I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if there's been a therapy session on it, but there's something about a Les Paul through a Marshall and a Telly through a Fender Hot Rod Deluxe or a Fender Deluxe Reverb. Oh, or yeah. There's something to mm-hmm. that that natural pairing of things that just bring out the, the tone. Because, like, I've got that old Governor pedal, and as much as I try, you can plug it into a Fender. It doesn't sound like a Marshall half stack, right? But it's a cool what? tone. Yeah. You mean it's not in the pedals themselves? Right, yeah. It doesn't <laughs> sound like it. And, you know, I think through the last couple of gigs that you and I have had, even with Lloyd, we've all looked at the, regardless of the gear to your, you've, you've made this comment a few times, regardless of the gear, it sounded like you, or it sounded like Lloyd. Yeah. You know, cause we brought those half stacks to Chicago and then I brought a half stack and Lloyd then took the same pedal board that you used 
and played that in Minneapolis at the next gig I was at with him. And you know Hold what? Hold on. It, he it, actually used the two metal zones no, and everything? I don't think he ever used them, but they were there. <laughs> but it sounded... It, <laughs> despite the fact that you used it, you know, two weeks before or whatever, it didn't sound like you. It sounded like Lloyd. You know, it sounded like his... Yeah. His tone. So I think there's something to the, as you grow and as you get better as a player, you can appreciate different gear by, you know, playing old guitars or different guitars and and that kind of stuff. And, you know, just because something's old doesn't really make it valuable or or good, but you can appreciate certain instruments that have gone through that aging process because they don't play as good sometimes or they don't have these other things, but you can, you can bring that out of them the better the player you are. Oh, that's true. That's very true. You know, that actually brings up the idea of even someone who plays an instrument. Like, I remember hearing the story one time of Van Halen and Ted Nugent on the exact same tour. And Ted Nugent played through Van Halen stuff and sounded like Ted Nugent. And Van Halen played through Ted Nugent stuff and sounded like Van Halen. Yeah. And... The aging process is important, actually. I, I do think there is an aging process to it all. Yeah. And and we'll get actually, you know, we'll get into some of that. But I think that ultimately what you coax out of an instrument is probably the larger variable. And then the age is another variable or the parts, the marriage of all of the things put together are a part of it. Because when we talk about age to perfection... My mind goes to obviously to vintage gear because that's what we were talking about. But yep. I definitely think it, it it has more to do with the player of age to perfection. The older you get, the more knowledge you have, and it doesn't. It's not about age specifically because that's just a number, right? If you've been playing guitar for five years but you're fifty years old, as you grow as a musician, you're still going to grow as a musician. If you start picked up the guitar, you know the thirteen year old cork sniffer, yeah, he got a head start on playing and and on gear and using cool stuff. Yeah. I think about Joshua, like he's playing bass, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes as he, as he moves well, on. Uh, he'll but never, you know, the he, thing is, is that just cause he started now doesn't mean he has to hit perfection now. Exactly. And that's actually a pretty important thing too. Yeah. Just having it available. Yeah. Being a bass player, I think he's never going to want for a gig, which is kind of why he chose it, I think. But, <laughs> but I look back at, you know, you, you had tons of, tons of gear that your dad had. And we started Joshua out on one of my, you know, it's a uh, Getty Lee Signature Series bass, and it's, you know, a $1,500 instrument. He started out there, and then we got him just this little Sterling Music Man, you know, $250 bass. Mm -hmm. That's his now, and he loves it, and he loves playing it. But I think about when they're going to play a show, they're not going to be like, you know, doing what I had to deal with, right? Like putting a keyboard amp on a stage and trying to plug vocal mics into it, right? Like he's going to have access to better stuff. So he gets those little those little head starts on some some of that stuff, mm-hmm. but but I think playing and the more you play and the more you experience the other things, the more you can appreciate more music and more gear and more you know styles of things. Because again, I never wanted to play Zeppelin; I always wanted to play Foo Fighters. But I love Zeppelin yeah. now, and I love sitting down and I love putting the record on and playing along and those types of things. So I think the the older you get, the more depth you get. Uh, with all the different things that you you can appreciate in music. Oh, yeah. Actually, this probably puts us to our next little topic beyond the next topic we were supposed to do. (laughs) So this was my thought in therapy, was that we were going to kind of go into like, okay, what is this aging process? What are important to the age? What, What, all that. But... I think we should talk about maybe some of the bands that have either aged to perfection or players that have aged to perfection or not. (laughs) So I'll start on a good note. I think a player who has aged to perfection is Billy Gibbons. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know what it is about the way he plays with ZZ Top, But when he first played, he was kind of all over the place and he was real aggressive and a lot of it was his moves and what he did. And they were amazing in like the 70s and the 80s. But then as he got older and he calmed down himself and his actions and movements, I feel like his playing got better. Like the tones got better. 
Yeah. So, like, to me, Billy Gibbons, that's a guy aged to perfection, a seasoned player, if you will. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I'm going to throw out, and this might be a controversial one, uh, Ooh. but, but I think Metallica has gotten better with age and I'm not a huge metal fan. Wow. But, wow. That's where you went. Okay. But, okay. but look at their old albums. First of all, they weren't great players when they started. Lars like bought a drum kit and was like, I'm going to start a band. Right. But as yeah. they've gotten better, they've, they've kind of become who they are and that's who they've owned this entire time. And I, I think they've gotten better with age, but I also, I think there's lots of, con- obviously all the controversy around the band and stuff. And I'm actually not even oh, that, sure. that huge of a fan of their band, but I think they've defined their style now and they just own it. They, they, they are who they are and they want to crank out pop tunes. They crank out poppy sounding tunes. They want to crank out rock tunes. They crank out rock tunes. Um, so that's, that's my dark horse. If it, if it were so. Do you remember, I believe it was episode 25 of the podcast, which was like way last year. And Nick and I talked about their, their bourbon that they have or their whiskey. Yeah. Blackened. I love that. Yes. And so the thing with that one is I remember having to do all this research on Metallica and most of the stuff that I found that I appreciated the most was kind of in the middle to late of their career, which one of the things that people would say was this was around the time that they cut their hair. Yeah. And people were like, oh, you guys are sellouts. And I remember Hetfield saying, yeah, we sell out, sell out every stadium. Yep. It's like, darn right you do, because your stuff is better now. It's really good. Yep. <laughs> So, all right. Well, actually, I'm going to bring that up again in a bit, but I'm not yet. All right. We're, we're still going to talk about these artists. Sure. If you're going to throw out a controversial, I'll throw out a controversial. All right. Hit me. Keith Richards. Stones. I think that Keith Richards has never been an amazing guitarist, but I think that his tone was okay. His lead singer was able to propel them places and his tone got worse over time. I know I just lost all the hmm. UK. <laughs> Nobody wants to listen anymore, but I've, I, I love the stones. Don't get me wrong. But when I hear them play and I hear a song or whatever, it, it's not Keith I'm listening to, but when I watch them play, it's Keith and Mick that I watch. Hmm. What are your thoughts on that with Keith Richards? You know, I we really have to start thinking what type of world we want to leave to Keith Richards. You know, as mm. as, as we get older, because uh, very it, true, he is like a cockroach, like it, nuclear explosion. He will be the one living. It'll be him and Willie Nelson, man. That's 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 yep. that's who's going to be around. I look at the Stones specifically, and I think you know the early stuff was okay musically, and it's gotten better over the over time. I guess I've never never watched them that closely. I've never I haven't watched any mm-hmm. of their live stuff. But to your point, I definitely think that Jagger propelled them into the you know the stratosphere of yeah. being famous, right? But I think I think Keith has always I, I think they as a group have gotten better over time. Their tunes have gotten better. Their songwriting has gotten better over years too. So I will give that. Yeah, I think that the Stones themselves have continued to get better. But I don't know about Keith. I just don't know. Oh, <laughs> poor Keith Richards. Here, I'll throw out another. Y- you want me to do another controversial one? Uh, if you've got another controversial one, but I, I have one too. Oh, you have a controversial one. Uh, you might think it. I don't know. Okay, go ahead and lead into it. Go ahead and do it. So, I think Rush, their old stuff, eh, their newer stuff was way better. Mm-hmm. I think that they got wow. better... I think despite the fact that they're all like technicians and so now we've just lost Canada. No, we, maybe we still have Canada. Yeah. Cause I, I still like them. Um, <laughs> Isn't Wisconsin essentially just Canada anyway? Yeah. We, uh, we, we cross over quite a bit. Yeah. As, as a drummer, Neil Peart is, you know, one of my heroes, right? I mean, the guy was amazing, mm-hmm. but I look at, you know, Alex's guitar playing specifically and early on everything everyone knows who Getty Lee is right because everyone knows Getty yeah. everyone knows Neil but no yep. one respects Alex as as the guitar player in the band 
and the earlier That's stuff fair. the earlier stuff was all keys and you know heavy drum fills and all this kind of stuff and i think as as the era went on like when they got into the 90s and the and even into the 2000s you know any of the stuff that they were putting out you know they had an album that came out like mid 2000s and it was great i loved it and it was it had yeah. it was more guitar driven more there was just more to it and i think alex got better and i don't know if that was limitations on on kind of they hadn't done that before or you know if neil was you know on, on the decline but i know neil was the driving force in in a lot of the writing of the tunes yeah so i don't know if if alex took a step in and and they <laughs> finally like hey man i i got some tunes too like let's play my stuff uh, i don't i don't know <laughs> i'd have to do some research on that but i definitely think you know rush got better with age yeah that's actually really good if you think about it alex has a signature guitar with Epiphone as well as Gibson mm-hmm. and his guitar had this like crazy access point and it was like a little thinner and it had the the Floyd on it and there was lots of really cool features to it and you might think that these are features that you hide behind but you've got to be a pretty good player to play most of those features on that guitar and I think back on some of the things he plays and you know you're right I never really focused on what he did but I never thought it didn't fit. And that brings up an important point about a player is when you have people who overplay, you know it. And when you have people who underplay, you know it. So is it just possible that he was playing exactly what he needed to at the moment because the other two were so good or showboats or whatever? I think when you have a talent like Getty Lee in the band, you are your second yeah. fiddle, right? Like you just have to you have to lean into it and own it. And even when with Neil Peart, right? Like you've got the greatest drummer. Yeah. I mean, arguably the greatest drummer of all time in your band, yeah. and you've got the arguably the greatest piano player and a or keyboard player slash bass player slash vocalist, right? Like we can all agree yeah. that Getty Lee is the greatest keyboardist, bassist, vocalist, right? Like nobody, yeah. <laughs> nobody does all three that well. And then you're just right. like, hey, I'm over. I'm the guitar player. Hi, guys. <laughs> Hi. I, you know, I'll be over here with my 16 <laughs> stacks behind me. Yeah. No worries. Yeah. I'll just I'll just I'll hold down the chords like that's or whatever, you know, but but you think some of the riffs that he came up with are just they are epic, right? Like they're they're these. Oh, yeah. And maybe going back to the earlier an earlier statement, maybe I just appreciate what I'm hearing from him more now that I'm older. Right. Oh, Yeah. Uh, maybe it's me. Maybe it's not that they're getting better. Maybe or he got better or, or he got more more involved. But maybe it's just I'm more focused on that those parts now. Yeah, very true. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Okay, I'm gonna do. Let me throw somebody else out there since since we're on to controversy. Sure. All right. Controversy for our Canadian friends. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Eric Clapton. Oh, slow hand. Oh, no. Where are you going with this? He was a better player with his ES-335 and his Les Paul, and he had better tone with Cream than he did later on playing his Strat as Eric Clapton. Hey, why do you have a painful look on your face? I'm physically <laughs> wounded by that statement. I uh, Clapton's one yeah. of my he's one of my all time favorites, but I have to agree with you. I think you don't have to agree with me. You do not have to. That's the I, beauty of therapy. We can have some discourse. It's okay. I I think I do agree with you. I think Clapton was better in Cream, and and the Yardbirds than he was. Uh, solo i now i'm not saying that the 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 tunes are bad i'm not saying the playing is bad right i'm saying is the tones that he had when he didn't have to hold the band yeah was better than later on when he had to now with that said still to this day one of my favorite albums is the unplugged mtv eric clapton oh yeah that all around is is epic that yeah. yes crazy huh yeah it just rocked your world didn't i i'm yeah. so sorry i i don't know how i'm gonna recover from this i well you want to recover with another crazy one that i've got sure 
Here's somebody I think that got better with time. Yeah. But the band did not. Okay. Brian May. Oh. I think that Brian May, as a guitar player and his tones, got better with Queen over time. But when Queen refused to replace Freddie with an actual suitable Freddie Mercury stand-in. Sure. Like Mark Martell, who is fantastic. Yep. And instead they decided to use Adam Lambert, who is good on his own right, but is not Queen. Yeah. Queen got worse over time. And Brian May continued to be awesome. And he still continues to be awesome. And he and Keith Richards, when they rule the world because they're the only ones still surviving, (laughs) is going to be amazing. Yeah. With Willie. Yeah, I think, you know, I I understand the the idea of not replacing Freddie in the sense of... Well, let's get somebody who sounds like Freddie, right? Because that's what Journey did. Like, let's yeah. get find somebody that sounds sounds like Steve Perry, and just keep doing the tunes. I, I think, out of respect for Freddie, they said, "Hey, we're, you know, let's let's not try to replace Freddie, right? Because he's irreplaceable." Right. But I do think Adam Lambert is a step down musically from Freddie. He's good energy wise. I think talent wise and, you know, you hear him sing the queen songs and you go, eh. and then you hear him hear the new stuff yeah. and you're like, eh, it's okay. You know, but I mean, they haven't, yeah. they haven't had any chart toppers in years, you know? Right. What, what is your take on, uh, on our, on Angus young with ACDC? Ooh. Cause okay. he's still, he's still rocking it. Yeah, he is. And they've been, certainly been through the lead singer carousel. I, I think he can still pull it off. Nothing's changed though, right? Like they're not releasing new music and they're not doing any of that kind of stuff. Right. But you know, I, I okay. certainly, I certainly think, uh, Axel was a step down, uh, or sideways, mm-hmm. maybe not. He, I mean, the shows aren't as good, those types of things, but what's your, what's your take yeah. on, on Angus? This actually brings up a completely different point that I think is worth making is that there is such a thing as being aged to perfection. Yep. But at some point, you hit a spot where if you do nothing new and you learn nothing new, are you really aging to perfection or are you stagnant in the water? Did you just bottle the bourbon? Well, it's not going to age anymore. Right. And so now, all of a sudden, there you sit with somebody who was an incredible player, is an incredible player, and will continue to be an incredible player playing the exact same tunes. Yeah. And so I would say that ultimately Angus is amazing. He continues to be amazing. He is still amazing. I would love to see something new that came from him so I can make a proper evaluation. Yeah. Are we just attacking British bands at this point? Uh, you want to talk about you two? No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah. I, okay. Actually, <laughs> we're going to take one step back. All right. Because I think it's actually worth it yeah. for us to to go back to Queen and instead mention this statement, which is Mark Martell. That dude is amazing. Yeah. And his voice is stellar. And for Mark Martell, which what what, uh, what band was he a part of? He was actually a part of a Christian band. The band was called Down Here, and that's we, right. We worked with them uh, at the festivals when he was when they were in Down Here, and we've actually worked with Mark when he was doing his solo stuff after that band ended. Before mm-hmm. he started doing the Queen Experience, not to hit bingo again, but your brother Paul, I know, is a huge fan. Yeah, and actually got to open for him one time oh. when we had him at a festival. So that was, that was fun. So cool. Um, I mean, he just has it right. He just opens his mouth and he sounds like Freddie Mercury. Mm-hmm. And what's funny is he's Canadian. And because he grew up in the Christian music, he had never really listened to queen. He knew like we are the champions and some of those types of songs. Oh, sure. But when, when his band down here got, because he went to a hockey event, right? More or less. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah. And when he <laughs> stereotypes, went stereotypes <laughs> done, <laughs> when he went to uh, when he started touring as a as this Christian band down here, people were like, "Oh my gosh, you sound just like Freddie Mercury." He's like, "I'll have to look him up sometime." And you know, it was just mm-hmm. just this weird thing. And all of a sudden, he he hears the band and and realizes, "Yeah, I do kind of sound like him." And then he did. They were doing a find a build a band or or make a Queen Ultimate Cover Band competition, yeah. and he posted tribute a tribute th- band. Yeah. yeah, and he yeah. posted a thing on on YouTube. 
and just it went nuts. Like everyone going, no, that's just that's just Freddie, right? Like that's just Freddie. Oh yeah. He's like, no, it's me. Like it's really me. Here's me singing. Here's me not singing. Kind of vibe. It was just amazing. Like he was on Ellen and all over the talk shows and stuff. And oh yeah. And even the movie that came out, Bohemian Rhapsody, he did all of the vocal doubling that mm-hmm. when they couldn't use actual Freddie recordings, it was Mark that that did the tunes. So, Which, I don't know if you've seen Bohemian Rhapsody and actually watched all the way to the end, but I actually looked for Mark Martell's name, not in there. Nope. He uh, he never got any credit on the the movie. But he did get credit, like on the Wikipedia page and some of that kind of stuff. Yeah, it was funny because the movie was about to come out when we had him at Bratfest, and we were sitting in the back. We were the production crew and we're grilling steaks and kind of stuff. And he didn't have catering that day. He's like, "Oh, actually, he had catering, but it's Bratwurst." And so we gave him a steak. Oh yeah, he uh, he sat with us and had a steak. Nice. And uh, that's was, how you get Mark Martell to hang out with you. I'll yeah. let Paul know. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. just have to have the steaks instead of the Bratwurst at Bratfest. But yeah. And he kind of spilled the beans. He's like, look, you can't really can't tell anybody, but I did do all of this vocal doubling on the movie. But they really wanted it to be, I can't remember the guy who played Freddie. Everyone wanted to oh, yeah. think it was him because he really did sing. He sang, you know, the guy sang as they were recording it, but mm-hmm. he didn't sound like Freddie. So then they they overdubbed right. Mark Martell in some of those moments. So, And now you've told everyone. So you just broke a promise. No, you not suck. now. I can now I can say it because he's because <laughs> it's already out there. Like it's public knowledge now. But if you Google Mark right. Martell Bohemian Rhapsody, it's all out there. So okay, all right. Well, now that we know that it's public knowledge, that's good, yeah. I guess. Okay, so we should probably switch gears. But before we do that, we are going to actually mention what genre do we think has gotten worse over time, has not aged to perfection, and what genre maybe has aged well over time and become better. But we're going to do that after a word from our sponsors. If you are looking for a way to help support the Tweed Couch and it costs no money to you, then check out our YouTube channel and become a subscriber. Also, you can tell someone about the podcast and share an episode with them. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Are you looking for a party with a purpose? If you love music, if you love family-friendly, if you love camping, then you should look into LifeFest. LifeFest is one of the largest Christian music festivals in America and draws attendees from across the United States to worship together, deepen their faith, and strengthen relationships with family and friends. This three-day event features dozens of artists, engaging seminars, and much more. This year, in 2021, we have two festivals. Come join a party with a purpose in Oshkosh, Wisconsin on July 8th through 11th, or on the Johnny Cash Hideaway Farm in Bon Agua, Tennessee on July 29th through 31st. I'll see you there. Okay, so John, I think it is worth it for us to mention what genre of music do we think has gotten worse or better over time? So, John, do you have a worse? What has gotten worse over time? Let me let me redefine this. Do you mean currently new music that's coming out today that is made worse in a certain genre? Or do you mean hmm. a genre that hasn't aged well? Okay, I will take either. Okay. I will take either because I was going more along the realms of it was doing great and then went on a terrible downfall. But I like I like where you're at. So whichever one you want, your interpretation. Because like what hasn't aged well, in my opinion, is like early 2000s pop music, right? Like it mm. you nobody looks back at it and goes, wow, that was some great stuff, man. Hit me, baby, one more time is still like yeah, it's my anthem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, now mm-hmm. some of it may be your guilty pleasure, right? Like there's people who who oh, still yeah. still you know when the windows are rolled up in the car and you're kind of driving along, you turn it up a little bit when you hear it. But that's right because um, I got a genie in the bottle and you yeah. got to rub me the right way. Exactly. But thank you, Christina. Yep. So in that context, <laughs> the single album that makes me go, this is this has done nothing but get better. 
is the Michael Jackson Thriller album. And I know it's it's Ooh. it's probably a popular pick. It's probably a popular top 10 albums of all time kind of thing. Okay. But when it first came out, I personally, now this is just me, I personally didn't care for it. It wasn't really something okay. that I went, oh, yeah, this is cool. I'm a little bit too young to have heard it like the first time it came out or to, to have appreciated it when it first came out. Mm-hmm. I know my sister was a huge fan of it. She's a couple years older. But now I look back at it and go, that album is still epic. If, if that album came out today, it would still be number one. It would yeah. still rule the world yeah. as, it, as it came out. And if Michael Jackson was still around, he could totally Taylor Swift it and just re-record it and re-release it to make it number one again. Yeah, exactly. And everybody and everybody'd be like, everybody'd buy another copy of it. If you if you yeah if he came out with an unplugged version, everyone it would be a number one seller. Yep. Yep. It would just be like Clapton doing his all of his old stuff. MTV unplugged Michael Jackson. That should right. have been a thing. Yeah. Would have, so, could have, should have. Okay, so you. You gave me a little bit of something that has not done well and something that has done well. Now, if I'm talking about just the genre, a genre that has gotten worse over time, you're probably going to say has never been good, so I don't know what you're talking about, but it's country music. (laughs) So, I appreciate country music, but Mm -hmm. I don't appreciate current country music. Does that- I'm not saying that current country music sucks. It does not suck. But what I'm saying is, is that as you went through the 90s, early 2000s, country music evolved to something yeah. and then decided it was pop. Yeah. Friends in Low Places wouldn't play on a pop station. No. Garth Brooks? Absolutely not. And nothing from the George Strait catalog ever right. would have played on a pop the only reason why anything Willie Nelson would have played on a pop station is because somebody used it on a TikTok and now all of a sudden it's popular and right. then they use it. But yeah, no, it doesn't belong there. I mean, not not being a huge fan of that genre in particular, I would agree with you. I, I think that that hasn't yeah. gotten better over time. No, I think this is my side then, right? Rock and roll has gotten worse over time. Mm. There aren't true rock bands like you think of i mean name five rock bands that are out there today right like you could think back in the 90s live and pearl jam and foo fighters and nirvana and like i mean there's just there's that alternative rock vibe obviously there there aren't those bands doing that as many anymore foo fighters is still a thing but they're kind of it right like they should just win the grammy for best rock album every year because they're kind of it yeah that's true that's very true, unless somebody decides to pop out something else, like Aerosmith does a new one, or right. Rolling Stones does a new one, or right. whatever. But they're all frozen yeah, in no, time. They're it. all frozen in time. They have they haven't released new stuff. And good for them, man. They're still selling out stadiums. Yeah, they are. <laughs> they don't want to miss a thing, Aerosmith. I mean, the top five touring bands pre-pandemic, Paul McCartney, Bon Jovi, U2, Taylor Swift, and... Uh, Elton John, his his Goodbye Yellow Brick yeah. Road tour before it, it got canceled. I mean, all of them are 60, 70 plus, except for T-Swift, who obviously is the only, you know, current... Crossover. Crossy, yeah. yeah used to be country, pop, queen. Mm-hmm. Everyone else is is playing their catalog from, you know, 40 years ago. I mean, that, yeah. that also tells you who has money, right? Like... You know, well, true because concerts are way more expensive yeah. than they were when we were kids, right? And young adults and all that. So I'm going to give you my genre that got better over time. Okay, and I'm surprised you didn't mention it because I think you're going to kick yourself when I say it. The genre that got better over time is Christian. That's an easy one. Yeah, I I, I completely agree it, with you. It seriously is. It is the five-inch putt. It is such a gimme. Why are we even doing this? Because Christian in the 80s was interesting. Christian in the 90s was canned. Christian in the 2000s, early 2000s, was really exploratory. And really, Christian music in the last, like, 20, 15, even maybe even 10 years has really had its own identity. There are people out there who will listen to this music 
not Christian people will listen to this music and go, I love it. Yeah. I love it. So two things that happened, and not to open the curtain back up a little bit, but be like, hey, this is what kind of happened in the industry. But in not- uh, I love that I have you here for group <laughs> therapy because you know the industry because you've been working in the industry for how long have you run LifeFest? So I've been at the festival for 20 years. So yeah, I've only run at the, the last festival for 20 years. How, how long have you been the man in charge? Seven, no, I think seven years. So, and you know what? This is around the time. So I think that you're the reason why Christian music is better because you've been around <laughs> it and that's how it got better. Well, it wasn't me. I can tell you that. And, and it's, uh, so, <laughs> so actually, so in 95, which obviously is way before your timeline, but in 1995, Jesus Freak came out, which is a which is a band called DC Talk, and it, yep. in the Christian market, everybody's head exploded. They're like, "Oh my gosh, this is so awesome! This is so great!" Yep. And then the band exploded, right? But four years before <laughs> that, like if you AB that song, and this is a little bit sacrilegious, but if you AB Jesus Freak and Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana, the intros are very similar. Like it has that same yeah, build up, that same vibe, that same drum kind of kind of thing, mm-hmm. and um. It was essentially the closing of the window, is what I like to call it. Because Christian music used to be like 10 years behind the times, okay? Oh, yeah. If something was popular, like disco, Christians were doing it 10 years later. Yep. Pop, if you heard a pop tune and 10 years later, all of a sudden there's a Christian song that sounds like a pop tune from 10 years. DC Talk shortened that window to about three to four years, because Nevermind came out in 91, I think, and... Uh, mm-hmm. Jesus Free came out in 95. So, like, there's four years between the two. Yeah. Then, then that band exploded. That band fell apart. But Toby Mac, his first solo album, was super controversial because he hired a secular producer to produce it. He went outside of the yeah. Christian genre and said, I need my music to sound like what my kids want to listen to on the radio. Yeah. And he started doing that. And then Michael W. Smith went out and did that. And all these, you know, all mm-hmm. these people started going out and, and breaking out from the the Christian record labels. Also, when, when Jesus Free came out, the other big thing that happened is secular labels started buying up Christian labels. So they had a Christian market because they saw the yeah. success of DC Talk and went, we can make money on these guys. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden... Sony BMI all of a sudden owned Word Records, which was a Christian label, but they bought it. They still distributed it as Word Records, but it was Sony. And, you know, all of these other labels started getting acquired by these major labels, which did two things, gave them bigger distribution and allowed them to grow their 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 market. But it really allowed them access to better producers, better musicians. And I hate to say it that way, but like Christian musicians back in the day weren't if you were a really good guitar player, you went and played with a secular band because you could actually make money. Right. And and once Christian Christian music got better and became more of an industry, because let's let's be honest, it's the Christian music industry. Right. They started to gain access to players who could play their music and play better and and perform better, and the music got way better, way faster. And yeah, the last ten years, I mean, you you look at what's coming out in the Christian market. It's just as good as the secular music from a from a produced standpoint and those types of things. Yeah, I will I will correct you on one thing though. It's weird that Christian music is its own genre because within Christian music is every genre, right? Yeah, that's true. Because under Christian music, true. under Christian music, you've got Amy Grant, you've got uh, Lecrae, Skillet, Skillet, uh, uh, <laughs> Michael W. Smith, and Mercy Me are all are all in the same genre. Pod. Yeah. Even though they did a crossover and switch foot. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. You're absolutely correct. Yep. So within Christian music, I think they all got better because of, you know, that rising tide floats all boats kind of vibe. But they all got better collectively and the the genre, you know, got the fast forward button pushed and got to got to skip ahead a few years and getting better. So Yeah, no, you're you're correct. Okay. So <laughs> here we are. We've basically just talked about aged perfection, and we had a little bit about a gear at the beginning, and then we had a whole lot about music. Yeah. And we haven't really talked any more about guitar. 
sense. Let's and talk so about gear. I'm going to, it, you know, and the thing is, is that it was awesome. It was amazing. And I hope people have stuck around to the end that are like, I'm here for the guitar. Can you please stop talking about the music industry? Because you guys are a bunch of has-beens. And, <laughs> you know, which is not true-ish. And so there you go. Ooh, I guess it's better than being a wannabe. Yeah. Oh, that's true. That's I'd true. No, I'd... we've been in it. Okay. <laughs> now, let me take a, a step forward into what we're actually talking about. And I would like to mention that there are a few things that are better over time with vintage gear. And a lot of it has to do with the way it was made or how old it is or whatever. So, for example, guitars in general. Way back when, they used to make things in nitro and nitrocellulose lacquer. Mm -hmm. And this nitro, it just will always continue to harden. And because of that, because it's made of organic materials, it's actually going to decompose over time, which will actually cause this lacquer to yellow and it will allow for it to be able to breathe. And then because of that, we get more vibration in the wood and with more vibration we continue that aging process that losing of sap and water and all that kind of stuff and i think it ages the guitar closer to perfection the guitar itself the husk if you will yeah i i would agree with that i also think you know because it changes color it checks right like it'll crack easier mm-hmm. than a than a poly finish it'll chip you know, differently. Yeah. I think it can age a guitar to, to a better position, you know, even from a looks standpoint, not even just from a playability standpoint, but it can make it look, it looks old, but it still looks good. You know, you know, so when I was talking with Lloyd, I mentioned to him that back in 68 is when Fender went from that nitrocellulose finish, that organic finish and went to a poly finish, essentially a plastic finish. Yeah. And think about the last time you saw a 70s Strat or Telecaster or whatever, and you went, man, that looks old and beautiful. Most of the time you look at it and you go, man, that thing still looks new. Yep. But also, how many people out there are going, I'm really looking for a 70s Fender? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that you are. And I contributed to this. I actually heard this on a YouTube video. Uh, somebody was talking about like the finish process. Actually, it was uh, the guy from Warwick, Warwick okay. Bases. Yeah. And the statement he said was, "Poly finish on a guitar is a lot like putting a girl in a corset. Sure, <laughs> it looks real good, but they can't breathe anymore." Yeah. And that's the same type of idea I think with poly versus nitro. I think that the nitro gets a lot of breath still available. And the nitro locks it all in. So I think some of those 70s guitars are not going to age like the 60s guitars in Fender's realm. But yet Gibson kept the nitro and never went to the poly. And I think Gibson's will continue to age well over time. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, it goes back to the, you know, we talked a little bit about the the reissues and the the era guitars even the look, right? Like the nitro finished guitars kind of get that sweat groove on the, on the, yeah. on the strat and the, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where Polly, I mean, it takes a long time to wear through that stuff. <laughs> you have to take a belt sander to yeah. it. Yeah. You really do have to just take it apart if you really want it to happen. Yeah. Now with that said, if we're talking about acoustic, they've actually noticed that the wood gets lighter over time. Sure. And a lot of the reason why is because of the vibration. It's vibrating, it's getting played, it's getting used. And and I think that that's a big part of the aging process. You got to play the stuff. Yeah, there was a, this is like late 90s, early 2000s. There was a company that was trying to do the aging process and they would actually like put acoustics between speakers and like shake them. I, I don't remember who that was, but, and I might just be making this up, but it, I, I distinctly remember this conversation with somebody and they they would like vibrate the guitars to try to get that, that you know to prematurely yeah. age him i don't remember if it was takamini or or something like that i just remember that that was one of the things that somebody was trying to do to try to get that those that water out of the guitar and and get that yeah get all that stuff down but um 
the nice thing about an acoustic is obviously the inside will always breathe through the sound yeah. hole. So, you know, you can put a poly finish on the outside and it, it'll still look nice, you know. That's right, because the inside will continue to actually do the the, the, the porous, like getting rid of, yeah, the breath. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that that you, you, you state it that way, because this idea of vibration changing things. All right, so we're going to go back to Metallica. Yes. So episode 25 of this podcast, Nick and I talked about what made this blackened whiskey so different. And it was that they took the barrels and then they played Metallica music, the lows of it, agitating the whiskey. And that agitation is what allowed for this this better movement with the barrel. And it aged it to perfection. And so the interesting part to me when I hear this and I hear you talking about that is I go, you know, there is something about the vibration mm-hmm. because the vibration aged this bourbon, this this whiskey better. But I think it also ages the guitar better. A well-played, heavily used guitar is just gonna be better. Yep. Can I bring up one other point let's, before we go to the next thing? Let's go. Yeah. One other point is pickups. Have you ever heard the term pickups need to break in? I have. And some of it has to do with obviously the age, but there's definitely things that happen to pickups as they get older, right? They're copper. So oxidation starts to happen and, yep. and some of that stuff. Get kinda... the sweat in there, the yeah. corrosion. Yeah. yeah. Seymour Duncan actually went on record as saying that really what it is that like ages a pickup is the fact that things get in the way of the magnetic field. Oh, sure. You know, you lean it up against your amp a bunch of times. Yeah. The magnet is going to cause some changes in the actual like field that's in there. You get some sweat in there. It's going to change it. You happen to put it on the train and it's right next to the area that's like generating the power. It's going to change the field. And I'm wondering if this whole idea of pickups being aged to perfection, this loss of highs, this warming tone that happens to it. I'm wondering if a lot of it is just the physics. You know, the the pickups just lose some of their magnetism and lose some of their field and it makes the guitar sound better. Yeah, I mean that it, that physically happens. I mean, you know, pickups do you know, magnets lose their magnetism over time. It, oh yeah. It happens, right? Like, you know, the old Snoopy magnet you have in your fridge that's now sliding down to the floor. Mm-hmm. Uh I mean that just happens. It it's not it's not something that you can avoid. And guitars are the same way, right? I mean, it's a mechanical piece. It's a it's a physical thing yeah. that has been magnetized and, you know, yeah, I, I can see that just kind of going away. You know, because obviously when you use active electronics, that changes the tone, right? As opposed to not Absolutely you it can, does. Yep. You can turn off the active pickup, the active bases and things like that. You can blend in the active tone and things and you know, pickup will sound different if you're running a nine volt battery through it. So yeah, I could I could see totally see that happening and, and buy into that. If we were to, for instance, time capsule a guitar, right? You take a 2022 Stratocaster and you put it in a vault and you take a 2022 and you play it for the next 10 years and you pull them out. There's going to be massive differences to the tone or maybe not even massive, but there's going to be differences to the tone just in the fact that the pickups sat there have been used. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. And the other one didn't, didn't have anything, didn't, didn't experience anything in the, in the world, you know, even temperature changes. Right. I mean, all of the yeah. things that guitars go through that that will cause an aging process. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, one last little part because you happened to mention something about like vibration into the wood for like maybe the Takamine guitar, and I mentioned for the whiskey. There is actually a thing with speakers. By the way, it was Yamaha. I googled it. Well, oh, it was Yamaha. Yeah, I googled it, and Yamaha's okay. the one that did that. So. So as you mentioned Yamaha as the one that is actually doing this like aging process on the wood itself, speakers also yeah. have this break-in period with the cone. Yep. And there's actually a manufacturer out there known as Helitone, 
which I'm guessing is the tone from the pits of hell. I don't, I don't, I don't understand, <laughs> but there's a hell of a lot of tone going from this thing. And these speakers, they run like 15 hours of this like movement through the speakers to try and break them in before you ever put them inside your amplifier. And this brings up an interesting point. I remember getting my Marshall 412 and plugging it in and going, wow, it's really bright. It's really just like spiky and everything. And then we went into the studio and it sounded brilliant. I was like, oh, it must be the studio. And then after we got done in the studio, it sounded amazing the rest of the time. And I started thinking about it and I realized that when we played in the studio, I cranked it to where it should be. And we played for hours on the guitars and it sounded really good. And then after that, all of a sudden it wasn't that I was more comfortable with the songs or that I was able to dial it in. I truly believe I finally broke in the speakers. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I mean, obviously, you know, speakers are, they're, they're cardboard and glue. I mean, that's what most of it is. Right. And it's just like that pair of, you know, that new pair of jeans or those new shoes that you get, you know, they're, it's gotta, it's gotta learn where to flex, you know? Yeah. And obviously the more it flexes in those spots, the, the easier it kind of flexes into those spots. And, you know, again, it's not, you know, it's not rocket science. It's, it's cardboard and glue, you know, yeah. and a a, cardboard and glue and a big old copper magnet, you know, flying back and forth. So, uh, or Elnico aluminum. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, There's obviously options. Ceramic. but but, But yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. So this probably brings us to final thoughts, which is, is worthwhile since we're probably coming really close to an hour. This may be the first one that goes over an hour. Oh, yeah. Well, we did spend a lot of time talking about music, so. Yeah, how dare we? I'm so sorry that we've wasted your money on therapy. But all of that to say final thoughts, and I'll go ahead and go first. My final thought on all of this is when it comes to this idea of aged to perfection, I think that a lot of it comes to the eye of the beholder. Mm Mm-hmm. The the experience the person has with it and the comfortability, is that a word? Comfortability that you have with it. I think there's a lot that goes to that. But with that, as guitars age, as amps age, as all these things age, the fact is, is that we are the caregiver of this thing that is going to last beyond us. And because of that... I think that we are aging things to perfection, and if with age things get better, things are going to be better after we have it. And if, like certain other people we've talked about, performers we've talked about, that peaked and then kind of went downhill, I think this vintage gear may also work its way downhill as well. What are your thoughts? I completely agree with you on that. I think, you know, obviously at some point in time, vintage gear is is meant to be handed on and, and meant to to go to the next generation and very true. And we'll be in the dirt. Can't take it with you. Yeah. <laughs> but I definitely think, you know, we were we were talking about what to what to call this uh therapy session and you know, I threw out just because it's old doesn't make it vintage. Yeah. And and what I said was just because it's old doesn't mean it's worth anything. Exactly. <laughs> Cause you know, I had a, I had a, I had that '76 Gibson L6s or whatever oh, yeah. it was, and it was cool, but it wasn't vintage, right? I mean, it was old, and it certainly wasn't worth a whole lot, but yeah. it was cool. But I think, you know, as as time goes on, I think you know people are gonna gonna have to take into account what their personal preferences are with anything that they that they want to acquire with anything that they play, because even even going back to our music conversation. You looked at Eric Clapton and said, "Yeah, I don't know if he got any better with his new stuff." And and I would say, I love his new stuff. You know, and and we can yeah. go back and forth. And and that's what makes music great is that at any point in time, I can look at a player and go, "Man, that guy's great." And you can be like, "Meh." And and yeah. we're both right. We're both correct. Yeah. I'll, I'll leave with this thought. And it as you move on and you think back about tunes and you think back about gear. You know, I, I saw uh, a Foo Fighters interview with Dave Grohl, 
and they were talking about, you know, he's talking about learn to fly that tune. And, and I've thought about it for years, but man, it's about spreading your wings and going out and, you know, leaving. Cause I, I left high school yeah. right when that came out, right? Like I graduated high school and it was about going out and new adventures and all this stuff. And, uh, in an interview, he goes, no, I wanted to be a pilot. So I wrote a song called learn to fly. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to, you have to think about gear in the same context, right? Like I look back and I'll say this because the last podcast we did, I talked about that 52 telly and I'm like, man, it was Olympic yeah. wide. It was cool. And then I dug the photos out of the shoebox, and I'm like, no, it was blonde. Like what the heck? Well, and, and I posted it on, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff. And you actually said, dang it. I think it was blonde, not white. <laughs> yeah. And, and to that point, I think as we get older and as we age, we look back at stuff and go, man, it was so much better then, right? Like, you, again, you can be that yeah. old man who goes, man, my music was better, or this yeah. was better, that was better. And 20 years from now, I think, you know, everyone looks back on things differently. Everyone thinks back on on gear differently. You know, everyone's got that one that got away, and, and they've been chasing yeah. it for years. And then you don't really need it or want it. No. But I think aging and, and some things get amazingly better, and some things aren't as great as you remember them to be. So, yeah, that's my final thought. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I think that we have had some excellent therapy. We've really kind of worked through a few things. There was actually a couple of other little parts that I was going to go to all of this. But you know what? This therapy was better than I ever would have imagined. I'm glad we did a part two. Thank you for doing a part two with me. My pleasure as always. And I'm going to go dig out some Eric Clapton records and uh, prove you wrong. So. Yeah, I want to be proved wrong. <laughs> Prove me wrong. I want it. All right, until next time, thank you. Yeah. Well, that concludes our time of the Tweed Couch Guitar Therapy Session. If you like what you heard, leave five stars in a review. Also, don't forget to check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Tweed Couch. Until next time. Until next time.